So I'm Wes. I'm one of the uh, pastors and residents here at Legacy. So the way I'm going to lower your expectations right now, um, we, people who come up here and preach, no one's getting up here who isn't called and able to preach, preaching the Word of God, speaking forth the Word of God. But we might, we might do it a little different than you're used to. Um, it's not necessarily seasoned professionals and veterans where everything's polished, everything's perfect, everything's exactly in line. Uh, you all know that already. Um, obviously, that doesn't give us permission to be sloppy, but we think if we're going to raise uh, many leaders to go to many places uh, to talk about this guy named Jesus, we have to give young men reps. So if you're interested, let me know. I can tell you about it. Um, but if you're new, we're in the book of Revelation. So let me comfort you, hopefully. Uh, we're not going to we don't approach the book of Revelation, maybe like the spiritual weirdos and whack jobs who, you know, you've heard about in Revelation your whole life. Um, it's going to be really ground level. It's going to be very uh, right here, right now, applicable to our life. Hopefully it will be encouraging. I want to start out telling you a quick story, though. Um, about a month and a half ago, I was at World's Fair Park, um, and I was going there for the Chicken Wing Fest. Isn't that what's so cool about Knoxville? There's always some sort of festival or cool thing going on in the city. Um, we love this place. Knoxville's a great city. And I was going to the Chicken Wing Fest. I was meeting some dudes to go to the Chicken Wing Fest. And I was, I was walking up there. I was by myself. I was meeting them there. And I forgot that there are two fields at World's Fair Park, both of which can hold festivals at the exact same time, right? So I just kind of stumble into this one, right, the one near the city. And I'm in line, and all of a sudden I notice that people are acting a little different around me. People are dressed a little differently around me. Um, so if you know me, I, basic things I don't get sometimes, you know, things like taking the toothpaste off your face, make sure your hair's not going crazy. Whoop, flies unzipped. That, this is kind of normal for me. It turns out I was in the line for a gay pride fest. The exact same day, the exact same <laughs> Saturday. <laughs> wow. So, it was, I made some friends. I mean, I have. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, so it was a gay pride fest, right? And so then something over the top happened. <laughs> something ungodly something annoying at the Gay Pride Fest. The tension's building. No, it wasn't the gay people, believe it or not. Of course, there's the Christians with their signs. <laughs> God hates whoever, you know, whoever is going to hell. That's the annoying part I was talking about. And I don't, I don't hesitate to say that that's annoying right? Misrepresenting God like that. You can say true statements and still misrepresent God, right? So what I'm tempted to do is go, man, those Christians, what the heck is wrong with them? Right? But here, here's the thing, right? Legacy Church, you do that. I do that. Sure, we're not like standing up with our signs and we're not you know, saying people are going to hell, right? And you might not even do that with any person. But here's the challenge that's going to drive this. You do that with God. I do that with God. You're on a rally with signs against God. You even have a sign. It's just, instead of a sign, it's your middle finger. I don't even want to listen to him. He's not even on my radar. So, we're going to get into the book of Revelation. Hopefully it'll get us outside of our little bubble a little bit and be worshiping a beautiful God of grace and love. So I'm going to get weird here real quick. So here's two chairs, right? It's going to get really awkward. Um, I'm sitting, we're all sitting here, right? This series in Revelation, Jesus is sitting here. And he's basically having some sit-down talks with churches. I thought about getting a crown from Burger King and, like, representing 
<laughs> representing King Jesus. <laughs> that might have been sacrilegious. That wouldn't have helped our reputation. <laughs> that, that's what's happening here. Jesus is having sit-down talks. Why? Because he's mean? No, because he loves us and he's kind. And he's not a bad doctor who pretends we're fine when we're not. He helps us, right? So if you can put the, we're going to hop right in right here. Um, here's the big idea. Jesus is our victorious king. We're going to hop right in. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum. Right, so Pergamum, kind of like Knoxville, kind of not. It was a real city in real life. Just as sure as we're sitting right here right now, Pergamum was a city, right? It's in Asia Minor. It's in the Middle East. It was one of the biggest cities in the world at that time. And it's hands down, according to a lot of historians, it was the most religious city in the world. So by religious, I don't mean like, you know, everyone's, I mean like they're actually very ritualistic and worshiping their gods and they're all like, you know, faithful to their gods and all that stuff in Pergamum. They had uh, many temples there. Zeus was there. I always think of, uh, you know, Hercules, the Disney movie, you know, Zeus. You know, he's like 100 years old, but he's still ripped. You know, he's, Zeus was there. Zeus dwelled there in Pergamum. There's also the emperor, remember the whole empire thing that was going on back then? His name was Augustus. He had a temple there. More on Augustus in a minute. It's crazy how he works into this story. But the main reason Jesus is concerned, Jesus has a kind king, he's concerned. He's concerned with the church in Pergamum. So these false teachers were coming in, right? And I think you guys, some of you are starting to realize this. It's almost like Ben and Jerry's. It's like, what's the weird flavor of false teachers today? What's the weird flavor going to be? Is it going to be self-righteous moralism where I just think I'm better than everybody? Is it going to be this weird dueling out of my faith? Today, the false teacher that Jesus is confronting is the teacher who comes in. He's really nice. He's really nice, by the way. He's super nice. And he says, Brothers, brothers and sisters in the church, you're free. And he only tells half the story because that's, isn't that so true how we're free? Man, we're free to worship God 24-7, 365 now. But what he says after that is kind of off. He says, therefore, there's no need to obey God. There's no need to do what he says. You don't have to. It's kind of the opposite of false teachers we looked at in the past. They pretty much say, you have to do this. You have to do that to be right with God. They're kind of overreacting. They're saying it doesn't matter what you do when you meet God. You see, they've forgotten that Jesus is king. He's the victorious king. (laughs) So some of you, man, I'm leveling with you. There's all, I'm leveling, seriously, hear me out. I'm leveling with you. There's all sorts of teachings out there. Religion, spiritualities, perspectives. We get overwhelmed, right? Which one's true? Is any true? Are they all true? Are none of them true? It's hard. But we do something weird if we're not careful. Do you do this? Do you end up saying, okay, well, there's all sorts of perspectives out there. Everyone's right. Let's just do what works for you. You do what works for you. I'll do what works for me. We'll just be a happy family, right? And it's very common. You might be saying that. You, your friends and family definitely say that. Um, but, and it sounds nice at first glance, right? You do what you want. I'll do what I want. But let's dig a little deep. Let's just dig a little bit. What about people who pers- whose personal opinions is that um, it's okay to kill people? What about people whose religion is that it's okay to take advantage of people? What about religions where it's okay to be racist? What about religions where it's okay to condemn gay people? Is that cool? Can you just do whatever works for you according to the idea of God? It's just a thought to simmer on for those of you who are searching. You're skeptical. You might want to think about that a little bit. When I was on my journey, I, I, had to, I was forced to look at that. So this church at Pergamum, there's a lot going on. But I'm sure it was a pretty cool church culture. I'm sure it was cool, right? It must have been pretty hip. 
I mean, the teachers are literally saying it's optional to listen to God. That freedom means you can do whatever you want to do. It must have been a pretty positive environment, right? All the hipsters must have been there. It must have been pretty cool. This is just me. This is for free, by the way. They must have been saying stuff like, oh, oh, you're having sex outside marriage? That's cool. I mean, it's not cool, but we all struggle. We all struggle with stuff. Oh, you're a jerk to your spouse day in and day out and you neglect her? We're all sinners. Or like maybe it's leadership. Oh, man, everyone here at my church is a coward. It's okay, we're not Jesus. You see what I'm doing? Trying to get ground level here. What's happened is they've forgotten that Jesus is king. He's forgotten that he's their victorious king. He doesn't save you from hell and then say, walk like you're going to hell. He saves you from hell and then he says, you're on the way to heaven. You're a taste of heaven. You get to experience heaven in part right now in this life. You see, Pergamum was on the road to apostasy. I know that's an intense word, man. I know it's intense. We're going to get more on what apostasy is in a minute. Next verse here. The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Right, this is Jesus talking. This is why I love Jesus so much. This is why I love him. Even if you don't really agree with him ultimately, maybe you can at least respect him a little bit. Have you noticed how direct he is? He's clear. You're not left wondering, like, what's, what's he saying? I would dare say he's not like the typical Southerner who, if we're not careful, it's overly passive-aggressive, overly manipulative, overly gossiping, overly manipulating. Jesus doesn't do that. He's a kind, victorious king. He's so clear. See where he says two-edged sword, right? This might be a little uncomfortable, but this is Jesus, our king, saying, I am the judge. I decide what is right and wrong. I am God. I am beautiful. I am peaceful. I am good. That's what he's saying when he says, I'm the sharp two-edged sword. So practically, it's good for me to be reminded of this. Y'all know me. I need to be reminded of stuff all the time. That's another way of us saying, I'm not master. I'm not Lord. I can't decide what's right and wrong. God decides what's right and wrong. It's not about what works for me. It's about what works for God. It's about Jesus. So the big idea is evolving. Do you see it? Now it's not just Jesus is the victorious king. It's Jesus is our judge. We'll get on that in a minute. Some of you are understandably uncomfortable using judge language. We'll get into it. It's actually a very beautiful thing. Jesus is the judge. He created the world. He's sustaining the world every second of every day including right here, right now. He's sustaining the very brains right here, right now that we use to try to, like, doubt him. He's sustaining that. He's not just a dude who looks good in a dress. (laughs) He's God. Check this out. Verse 13. This is where Jesus gets encouraging, right? He's, like, going up and down. He's like, what are are you doing? I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Now this is, I think this is important. Notice how kind Jesus is being here, okay? The church at Pergamum, they are acting like they are not Christians. They're acting like they haven't been purchased by God on the cross, and they're falling into gross sin. But notice that Jesus doesn't just come in and lower the boom. That's what I'm tempted to do. He empathizes Where Satan's throne is. Do you see that? He's being sensitive to their surroundings. How many of you are not sensitive to people's surroundings? You don't stop and think, okay, what might be going on in their life? When Jesus is saying where Satan's throne is, this is a way of Jesus saying, guys, I know it's tough, man. I know it's tough. You're in the nastiest part of the war zone with the nastiest enemy. You're getting your chops busted day in and day out. You're getting killed. We'll see that in a second. 
They're getting taken advantage of. And Jesus is saying, I can empathize with that. I've been through that. I've been through some extreme stuff at Satan's hand too. Do you see how the idea is evolving? Jesus is our king. Jesus is our judge. Jesus is our friend. He's a kind friend. I know what you're going through. I got, I got stuff to learn there. If I'm not careful, I don't. You know, you, you see someone who's struggling and you just want to come in too hard. You come in kindly. You're aware of their surroundings. Next verse here. Yet you hold fast my name and you, did, and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. He's still, he's still encouraging them. Isn't this amazing? Think how bad this church is and yet Jesus is still encouraging them. You remember that Augustus dude, the emperor we were talking about a few minutes ago? All right. Most historians think that he was actively killing Christians who referred to Jesus as God. He said, nuh-uh, <laughs> I'm God. You're going to call me God. He was always waking up on the wrong side of the bed, that Augustus guy. What was wrong with Augustus? He was on a power trip all the time. And he was killing Christians, and many think that he had Antipas killed right here. Let's put our legacy, let's put ourselves in our brother Antipas's, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, in his shoes. I think this is a good test to see if we believe Jesus is king, if he's judge, if he's friend. All right, it's going to be intense. What would you do if a dude with power, the power of life and death over you, he said that? Who's God, me or Jesus? If, if you say, Jesus, I'm going to kill you. Right? Of course, I'd be wetting my pants. <laughs> I think I'd say Jesus, but I'd still be wetting my pants. You see, some of you are very uncomfortable right now. That's too intense. Why would you say that? Well, I understand what you're saying. You see, those of you who are maybe thinking this thing through, you're on a journey, and Christians especially, I want to I wanna talk to you here for a second. See, in our, in our neck of the woods, here in the, what's called the Western world, in the United States, in the Bible Belt, here in the South, what we do is, listen, look here. We often fall into an imaginary Christianity with an imaginary Jesus who exists to give us the comfortable life we deserve. You see, in this cancerous mindset that we all struggle with, including you, dear friend, including me, we do, this, we st- we do something very tragic. What we do is we divide our life into two parts. We have our spiritual side and our ground level side. Do you see it? Do you see what I'm saying? You have your spiritual life and then you have your real world life. And there's a sharp divide there. A very sharp divide. You don't intermingle those two things. That's what we do. And what happens is, as long as my kind of spiritual relationship with this foggy God and this foggy Jesus, as long as I feel like that's going okay, it really doesn't matter what I do in the 98% of my real world life. Do you see what happens? Do you see the divorce there? Spiritual, me, God, maybe church stuff, maybe Bible study stuff, but the ground level, day-to-day working, relationships with people, the grind, watching TV, everything else is just kind of detached. This idea had seeped into Pergamum, and it seeps into our churches today. It's very dangerous. It allows me to live 90% of my life as if I am Lord and I am God. But here's the beautiful thing, guys. There's good news here. When Jesus, entered, when Jesus entered the world, he didn't come as a weird, foggy, spiritual whatever. He came as a man. He came as a physical man. And he did normal life. He gave dignity to every aspect of our life. And when he saved us, that is, when he released us from the power of sin and the power of Satan, what he did was he enabled us now to live normal life in worship to him, not just the weird spiritual moments, but normal everyday life. Isn't that good that we don't have to be two faces, that we don't have to be hypocrites? 
Isn't that good news? You see, our life gets to reflect the harmonious, beautiful, peaceful character of God who is not divided. It's united. I'll let you up for some air here in a second. Don't worry. So in the real world, real world, what if someone who had the power of life and death said, if you call Jesus as God, I'm going to kill you. Now I know it's probably not going to happen here in the United States, but it could. And even if that doesn't happen, there's going to be many other situations where you're going to be kind of at that moment of truth. Do we see here, Jesus is our king. Jesus is our judge. Jesus is our friend. Jesus is our king. Jesus is our judge. Jesus is our friend. Oh, he's so good. We haven't even gotten into the rebuke part yet. (laughs) That's kind of freaky. Verse 14. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak. It's not John and Chris, it's Balaam and Balak. Okay. To put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. All right, here are these dudes. Here are these guys. Gentlemen, you might want to look here. There's some great lessons to learn from Balaam and Balak, man. It was like piercing my soul this week. Ladies, too. Balaam was a dude way back in the Old Testament, and he is an amazing example of a coward, just an absolute coward. Passive, scared, afraid to draw hard lines, manipulative, passive-aggressive. He solidified himself as one of the biggest, I guess, I'll just call him a buddy. Yeah, he was one of the biggest buddy. He's just a buddy. He's just a bud. He's just a bud to everybody. So, Here's the good news. God supernaturally changed him later on. And that gives me hope because if I'm not careful, I'm just the biggest coward possible. He supernaturally changed him and he became a a bold, humble prophet of God. Right? But here he's being used as a negative example, as a case study. You see what Balaam did? He had a plan. And this plan is freakishly manipulative. I don't, I mean, it just boggles my mind. Um, Balaam, he was a leader of God's people. So what he did was he constantly lavished God's people with the promises of God, with the blessings of God, right? The good things of God, the easy-to-hear things of God. But he never, like in in a serious, literal manner, he never told them to harder the things here of God. He never told them the judgments of God, the curses of God. It's called the law of God. He never told them that. Why? Why wouldn't he do that? Well, it's not like a lot of the reasons we do. A lot of the reasons we don't do that, or I don't do that, I might just be scared of what people will think of me, right? Or I might, um, I might be so obsessed with having this reputation as, you know, a, a loving Christian that I don't say the hard things to hear about God. That, but that's not why Balaam did that. Here's why Balaam wasn't teaching people the judgment and curses of God. This is crazy, guys. Look here. He did that so that they would condemn themselves. Talk about a long, drawn-out plan. He knew that if for an extended period of time he didn't teach people Father God's heart, his will, his instructions, his morals. Oh, my gosh, the M word, morals. He knew that if he didn't do that, they would eventually condemn themselves because we have a good father who has good instructions for his children that are good for us. He knew that if he didn't give them them, they would eventually condemn themselves. They were walking into all sorts of sexual morality. They were intermarrying. He knew that would happen. Isn't that crazy? That was his plan. He wasn't teaching that... Jesus is king. Jesus is judge. Jesus is friend. So here's, a, here's, a, here's where it gets crazy connected. Jesus is comparing the church at Pergamum to Balaam. That's what he's doing here. That is intense. You see right here, they're practicing all kinds of sexual immorality. 
eating food sacrificed to idols, what that pretty much means is, is that they were so concerned about the freedom they have in Christ. In other words, they were so concerned about what they can do now that they were causing other brothers and sisters to stumble. They were literally causing brothers and sisters to go astray. Why? Because they were so concerned about their freedom. They're on the road to apostasy. Here's the thing, like, I know you guys know this, but just like to be kind of laid back maybe. I mean, it's not like an apostate church is like, hey, apostate church, come on down. We're like, the, we're like the best apostate church in town. It's on our banner. It's even on our website, man. We're the best apostate church. Come on in, guys. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> of course, that isn't how it works. It'd be weird. You see, apostasy is rooted in deception. Deception is when you think things are fine when they're not. They're not even close to being fine. You see, it's the opposite of accusation. Accusation is when someone is telling you that you're really, 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 really bad when you're not. Everything's fine. That's what accusation is. They're accusing you. This is deception. That's what apostasy is. All right. I'm so afraid. I'm so afraid I'm going to be this guy. Apost- I mean, deception is like, if you're, if, you're just, if you're just like walking through your life, right, and you don't have pants on, and you're blind to it. And then, and then your bros are like, hey, bro, like, you're, you don't have pants on. And you're like, no, I do. <laughs> but you don't. <laughs> you don't, right? And here's the progression. You guys aren't going to believe this. Here's the progression of apostasy. You slowly but surely start hanging out only with people who, too, have their pants off. <laughs> And, and you slowly but surely start just kind of like siphoning off the people who are just like, hey, bro, your pants are off. Before you know it, everyone you hang out with has their pants off. That's how to, that's how to turn apostate 101 right there. How to, how to live in an apostate church 101. Right? And then the final step of apostasy, Right? Not only are you only hanging out with people with their pants off, but now it is a good thing to have your pants off, and you market it to the world. It's a good thing. Do you notice the progression? Those of you who love to write things down, you might want to write this down. The progression of apostasy. You start out loving something that is pure and good. You You start out loving it. And then you start neglecting it, right? Oh, I guess you just start out maybe just walking around your house without your pants on. You just kind of neglect it. And the next step is you start condoning it. Now, that's not good, but I just I like having my pants off. You see the progression? You've gone from loving something that's pure to condoning something that's ugly. And the next step is you start affirming it. It is good to go through my life with my pants off. (laughs) This progression's crazy. And the final one, because Jesus tells us what comes out of our mouth, we market to the world. The last step of apostasy is you market it to the world as a good thing. Amen? You started out loving something that's pure, and you've progressed all the way to marketing the world something that is awful. Hmm. It's so scary, man. I'm like, uh, I'm always like doing stuff that's like so stupid, you know, like, like leaving stuff in my car, like losing my wallet. I'm like, oh my gosh. If I'm not careful, I'm going to be on the road to apostasy. Here's the thing, friends. We are going to be on the road to apostasy if we're deceived, if we're blind. I'll just say it. It is imperative to have people in your life who can point out your obvious delusions that you're blinded to, that you're deceived. It's absolutely imperative. 
You guys know me. I need people around me to keep me from going apostate. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing at that. It's a pretty serious matter. <laughs> you need people around you to keep you from going apostate. It's like, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, really good. Okay, any of you, any of, any of you older than about age 20, you're going to hear me, and it breaks your heart, and it breaks my heart. You see this over and over and over and over and over and over and over. What am I talking about? It's a story. And it's the same story every, it's like Transformers. It's always the same. What story am I talking about? You have a friend. And your friend's great. I mean, he's your brother. He, you, brother in the Lord. And then something really good happens in his life. Or something really negative happens in his life. One of the two, right? So something really good happens, and it's awesome. And, you know, for a season, he just kind of loses focus on, on God and his people and serving the city and, and working in the glory of God. It's either something really good or really bad, and then he just kind of starts, he or she just kind of starts, you know, coming every now and again, coming to church stuff. On Sundays, doing partying through the week, having celebrations, serving the city, whatever it might be. It just starts showing up sometimes. But the story doesn't end there. They, before long, he's, he or she's hardly ever showing up. And then, inevitably, every time, they fall into some sort of, we'll just call it obvious sin. Yes, sin is sin. But there are some that are just more obvious and destructive. And they always fall into sin. And every time, some of you aren't going to like this word, and every time, there's sexual sin involved. You see what they're doing, what we're doing. We do this if we're not careful. We go on that road if we're not careful. The next step is they start doubting God. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying everyone who doubts God is on their apostasy. Doubt can be a wonderful thing. I'm saying, no, literally, you are doubting the existence of God. You don't believe the Bible is true anymore. They don't believe the Bible is true anymore. They're doubting Jesus. They're doubting miracles. Right? Some of you know this. You know people. You're thinking of people. And the next thing you know, with their mouth, they will say they are no longer a Christian. Right? I talk about with this people all the time. It stinks, man. It's sad. It's so sad. The good news is God often brings them back, but sometimes they don't. They finish the road to apostasy. Here's the imperative. In other words, here's what's necessary. Some of you, me included, you're not real good at having people point out your delusions. Take it back, all of us. I mean, how many of us are like, hey, can you just like assassinate me with, <laughs> we don't do that. Maybe, I mean, maybe you do, I don't know. But we're not real good with that. Now, listen, I'm leveling with you. It's hard. But you think you just struggle with, you know, you're just sensitive. I'm just sensitive. I'm just sensitive. Or I just struggle with constructive criticism. And I, just, I, just, I struggle with feedback. And yeah, that's part of it. That really is part of it. You're right. But if you want to grow, you got to get deeper, right? You got to get there in the deep, dark realities of your heart, Okay. Man, it's hard, man. I'm, I'm serious. I'm, hear me out. I'm loving with you here. The problem isn't only that you're sensitive or that you struggle with constructive criticism. Um, the reason that you and I are devastated, depressed, the reason we funnel down in like personal anguish when someone gives us feedback is because we're self-righteous. What are you talking about? No, I'm not. Well, what's the definition of self-righteous? I, self am right so when you're telling me I'm wrong 
I'm really mad. Self-righteous, I'm right. So if you're giving a, a hint that I'm wrong, man, it's going down. I'm either going to attack you or I am just going to like go in a quarter and gossip about everyone. <laughs> I'm going to tell everyone about this. <laughs> Isn't that what we do? That's what I do. It's deception. We think we're fine when we're not. It's the opposite of accusation. It's when you're telling you're really bad when you're not. That's why, please, legacy, our king, our kind, victorious king, our judge, our friend, that's why he gives us people. That's why he gives us his word. There's two things. They're almost, they're distinct, but they're almost inseparable. The word works on your heart. It transforms your reality. It alters your reality. And in a literal sense, when people who you do life with are speaking to you, you are being transformed in that moment. Now, yes and amen, they don't always say it the right way. Yes and amen, they're not always right. But you just might want to stop and consider, are you kind of only staying on the edges so that you never have to experience someone who might do it the wrong way? I'll tell you right now, if you're going to be a legacy church, it's going to be done the wrong way. <laughs> Probably by me. <laughs> um, that's, where, <laughs> that's where we learn to love one another, to forgive one another, to not be a two-faced who can look at the cross of grace and say, I believe in that, but then we can't forgive our brother or sister. Right? That's where it happens. It's a real life. That's ground level. I'm falling over a rug. Some of you, listen, look here. You're on, a, you're on a journey, man. You don't know what you believe yet. You're trying to figure this thing out. You're like, I don't even believe in the Bible. It's understandable. But let me ask you to consider. If the Bible isn't going to be your standard, to me it's scary for your personal preference to be your standard. For you to be your own authority, for you to be your own judge, for you to be the final say on what's right and wrong. To me, that's even scarier than believing in a book. <laughs> At least like billions of people believe in the book. You're the only one who believes in you. You know what I'm saying? That's scary. Consider. Verse 16 here. All right. Great. It's about to get even more intense. Cool. Um, Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. <laughs> um, kind of wish Jesus didn't say stuff like this. I just like eight pounds, six ounce, sweet baby Jesus. <laughs> the God baby. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying that if you don't repent, if you don't change your mind, I'll destroy you. Some of you are like, I mean, seriously, I'm leveling with you. Some of you are like, wow, that's exactly why I have a beef with Christianity. That's such a violent God. He's going to destroy people? Well, I can't believe in that. I understand your concern, but please be careful. You might be blinded and deceived. Look here. It's because God is beautiful, peaceful, and just that he destroys anything that is evil and unjust. He wouldn't be beautiful, he wouldn't be peaceful if he didn't destroy that which was unjust. I was at, it's crazy. I've been thinking about it. I was at Guardian of the Galaxy what, I think that's what it's called, you know, the new Marvel movie. I watched another superhero movie this week. We know this at an inherent level. What always ends up happening? The enemy isn't only beaten, he's destroyed. Why? Is it because the good guys are bad? No, it's because the good guys are good and they're bad. That's why. 
He's a good judge. And listen, I'm going to appeal to your heart right now. Those of you who are struggling with this, you know this. You know you have a sense of justice. That's why you get mad when people are killed. That's why you get mad when kids are beat up at school. That's why you get mad when you see wars going on that are killing millions of people. You have a sense of justice. It's put there by the God of justice. That's why you have that. The problem is you're not the final judge. I'm not the final judge. God's the final judge. So the question is, who's evil? Who will Jesus destroy? Look here. Listen. You are evil. You will be destroyed. I will be destroyed. Remember that illustration at the beginning? We are ralliers against God's magnificent holy name. Yes, we love people. No, God isn't on our radar so much of the time. You say, no, 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 no. I'm not evil. I'm not unjust. All right, friend. Listen, you really do have an outward morality. You have a, a niceness that you display in day-to-day life, and it's a good thing. I'm going to make sure I don't fall off the edge here. And it keeps the world running, right? But your heart despises God. You're at war with God, right? And that is why you will be destroyed, not because God is bad, but because you are God. And he is so beautiful, man. He is so precious. He's so just. Oh, man, he's gorgeous. I don't even know if that's the right word for that situation. So then it's like, okay, how do I avoid being destroyed? (laughs) How do I do that? (laughs) Okay, that's a good question. This is the gospel. This is the center point of the Christian faith. This is the climax. This is our aspiration. This is our dream. This is our goal. This is what we proclaim. Here's what it is. Jesus was destroyed for you in your place. He was annihilated, ripped up. And not only that, you are now beautiful. You are now precious in his sight, lovely, magnificent. Jesus put his righteousness on you. It just scares me. It scares me so much, man. How shallow, how castrated, how toothless so much modern teaching is. This is the center point of everything. Jesus was destroyed for us in our place. When this centerpiece is neglected, we're on the road to apostasy. It doesn't matter, man, it doesn't matter how many church Bible studies we go to. It doesn't matter how many accountability groups I have. It doesn't matter how much I'm preaching the gospel to myself in my own power. None of this will save us. It's all very good. But we can't miss the actual person of Jesus. Jesus is the victorious king. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is our friend. Jesus was destroyed for us so we could be beautiful. Verse 17, man. It's all good from here. Smooth sailing. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives us. What the heck is Jesus talking about here? It might be helpful to see Jesus, something he said in the Gospels. Those are the accounts of Jesus' life. You might remember when Jesus said, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
Jesus then said, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. You see what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying, here in Revelation, right here, if you believe in me, you're a conqueror. This is just, it's almost weird. He's saying, you will be eating me forever. Okay? That's how at one you are, dear believer, with Jesus. You're at one with him. You are feeding off of him. It's not only in eternity, although this is part of what it's talking about. It's right now. You're at one with him. You get to feed him. He is your bread. Man, without him, you can't even function. He's your food. Ugh. He's awesome. Jesus is the victorious king. Jesus is our judge. Jesus is our friend. Legacy. Eat. Jesus. How's that for a command from God? Eat me. <laughs> but as we get past the laugh, I mean, it, that's, that shows how distant we want Jesus to be. We don't want him to be up all, you know, up, all up in our business. Just a great friend who's always there all the time. A great king. That's how at one it's supposed to be. Oh, it's so good. Hidden man, I will be eating him forevermore, and I will give him a white stone. I don't have anything for you on that. Commentators don't really know what that's talking about. There's like nine different ideas. I don't really know exactly what that's. I guess I could go through all the nine different things that it could possibly be, but we don't know for sure what that is. So, that's the gospel. Jesus was destroyed for us so we could be put together, so we could be pure, so we could be whole, so we could be precious. Now we get to eat him. Worship team might want to come up. What are a few right here, right now, take home, front of the line, ground level application? What are a couple things right now? We've already talked about it. Who, the word, and God's people, okay? Without it, you will be on the road to apostasy. I'm not saying, you finish the, I'm not saying you'll finish the run, but those are God's precious graces to us to keep us close with him. Yes, even you, children, all of us, it keeps us close. Who are the dudes who can get up in your Cheerios? Who are the ladies who can be like, okay, okay, you're just gossiping now. Who are the people who can point out your delusions? Why? So they can just get this sick form of like, I'm better? No, because you're growing in, in Christ together. Who are those people? Find it. Find it. Ask. Talk to me. Talk to anyone. Email. What, do whatever you got to do. We'll even help you find people at another church if you want to. You have to have that. It's imperative. You get <laughs> to have that. It's a precious grace. And the word. You almost can't separate it. The word is flowing through God's people. The word alters our reality. The word alters. It transforms us. We're not the same every time we come into contact with it in faith. So that, man, I know this is hard, guys. So what I'm not saying is, like, have your, like, two-hour morning devotional time every day and, like, do it at night, too. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, do you need the Word of God? Is it your food? Without it, will you fall apart? That's what I'm saying. We need that. It's life. 
Jesus is the victorious king. Jesus is our judge. Jesus is our friend. And now we get to eat with him for, forevermore. All right, let's pray. Father, in King Jesus' name, we just thank you so much how kind you are, how present you are, how you're not a checked out king, but a, a present king, a present friend with us, always in our midst. We thank you that you were destroyed for us so that we could be clean, we could be pure, we could be precious. We thank you that you don't leave us to dry once we meet you, but you give us your word, you give us your people to keep us walking with you, enjoying you, on the road to be with you forever. Forgive us when there's things we simply hunger for more than you. Please transform us right now and enable us to hunger for you more. I ask that anyone here who does not have believers who can challenge them, grow them, help them, comfort them, I ask that you just supernaturally put that together for every last person and that you empower those people to search for it. I ask that you help us at Legacy to, to, not, to not grow cold, to not think that we're beyond uh, going down a bad path. Um, obviously, by your grace, God, we're, we're walking with you, but just protect us. Keep us walking with you. Keep us thinking of you. Keep us being infatuated with you. Looking forward to the day we get to see you face to face in our stored world where everything's the way it should be. We just love you. And uh, we love you. In your name, amen.